know, about 40 years ago, about 40 years ago, I visited a teenage girl in the hospital, one of our majorettes at the high school by the church that I was preaching for. As a result of that visit with Cindy, Howard and his family started attending our church. Howard, a little short, stocky guy with hair down below his shoulders. Zach, he favored you a while back. <laughs> Somehow, thank the Lord, probably, was glad he made an investment in your life. He's blessed you tremendously, hasn't he? Last week we talked about the only thing that God hates. The only thing that God hates. <coughs> I want to read to you again from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. <coughs> the sixth chapter, beginning at the 16th verse. There are six things the Lord hates. There are, there are more things than that listed in the scripture. You get your concordance down and where it says God hates, God hates. It just amazes you at the things that it says God hates. But these are listed and grouped together. And most of the other things that you're going to read about, they're going to connect with these somewhere at some point. <coughs> there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. Haughty eyes, uh, that could be a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush to evil, a false witness who pours out lies. Many times we've talked about God's attitude towards lying and liars. And then a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. I asked what the only thing was that God hates, and I said it's sin. And yet we have all these things listed here in the book of Proverbs. But all of these amount to or equal to the same thing. Sin. Any of these that you practice, you're going to be a sinner to practice them. The Bible says that we all have sinned. All of us have sinned. Fallen short the glory of God. Romans 3 and 23. And then again in the 6th chapter of Romans, in the 12th verse, Paul writes and says, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. How many of us are prone to know that there's some sin in our everyday life, in our attitudes, in our activities, behaviors, and we we know it's there, but we're not doing anything about it. 
I mean, it was there a year ago. It was there maybe five years ago, ten years ago. And it possibly will be there when the Lord calls us home. I mean, after all, all sin, none of us are perfect. So I get excited about some of these things, you know. We, but yet the scriptures say that we should strive for perfection, for Christ-likeness. And ignoring these things that we know are not acceptable to God, well, it's, it's not going to get better. In fact, many of these things are like cancer that spreads. The longer we leave them there, the more sin we're going to have in our life because they breathe. It spreads. In fact, some of these things, when we started out with the behavior, the conduct, it was only occasionally. It wasn't frequently. Something may have provoked it. We may have even worked at disciplining it. But over a period of time, we just got used to it. And it happened more frequently. We fought it more often. And many times, you know, the thinking process becomes an activity. And the idea that God has is get this out of your mind. Get this out of your life because if you don't think about it, you won't do it. James writes in his letter, the first chapter at the 12th verse, and he says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, because when he has stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone, but each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Now get a picture of that. Don't just be passive with the problems you got in your life that you know are contrary to God's will for you and wishes for you, but give credit due here. The devil is at work. And the devil is trying to drag you away. And you need to be trying to hold on for dear life. Because it is dear life when you are living in the will of God. It is so much better to be in the Christian way than to be in the way of the world. The blessings will come. The growth will come. The prosperity is going. There's so many things that God is going to do for you when you are hanging on for dear life. We don't want to forget that God gives us dear life, abundant life. <coughs> are you struggling with issues in your life today? Are there some things that you need to maybe pray about more? Maybe you need to find somebody that you respect for their Christian integrity and say, look, I've got this problem in my life and I'm working on it. I, 
None of them are perfect, so I know I can come to you and I can be honest and say, this is the problem, and I'm coming and talking to you because I believe that God hears your prayers. The Bible says the prayers of the righteous. And when we know somebody that's living for the Lord and loves the Lord, we have every right to go to that person and say, pray for me. We don't mind doing it when we're sick as a dog, do we? But what about being spiritually sick? See, we don't think of ourselves as being spiritually sick when we have these problems. We need, to, we need to think about it like that. God sees us as being sick spiritually. He wants us to get well, and the only way we're going to get well is to get rid of the problem. We've got to have this healing, and this healing is not going to come from the one that's dragging us away. The healing is going to come from those that love God and that want to see God's will done in our hearts and our lives. And so it's, it's legitimate. I think it's a blessing that we often forget that God has given to us to go to someone and say, pray for me. It doesn't make you a lesser person. I think it makes you a bigger person, a better person. And God hears prayers, and God will strengthen and he will enable us to outgrow some of the things that the devil perhaps has used against us. He goes on to say here, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Doesn't that put a little urgency on this desire to do better and, and to get rid of that sin in our life and to, to resist the one that's dragging us away? Don't be deceived, James says. My dear brothers, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chooses to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. It is so important for all of us to look into the reality mirror and say, I have sinned. I have sinned. Let's get past, let's get past this immaturity stage of saying in our prayer, God forgive us of all of our sins. Oh, Lord. That's not a real confession. That's not an acknowledgement. Well, it, it is an acknowledgement in that we know we're sinners. Now, to what degree we're sinners, there's a lot of things that connect with that and dictate, you know. But God wants us to be specific. He wants us to say, God, I need help with this sin. God, forgive me for this sin that sin. And if we would just stop, folks, and think in the course of a day, there's some things that we did that we ought not to have done. And we need to really sincerely say, God, forgive me for being negligent. We don't do that, do we? Really? Don't we just group things together? Lord, forgive us for all of our sins. And some people just say, and this one really blows me away, oh, Lord, forgive us for all of our many sins. Now, how many is God going to tolerate before he's going to zap us? 
We need to we need to see sin as God sees it. It's obnoxious. To God it was so obnoxious that he created a hell, an eternal place of torment for those who would not repent. And he created a cross to hang his son on to pay the price for it. That's how obnoxious sin is to God. And we need, to, we need to get that vision of sin. We need to understand why God talks so much about sin here in the scriptures. Even God cannot help the sinner until he or she recognizes that they have a problem and they want to do something about it. Our main problem is our source of authority and our allegiance. Over in Romans, the sixth chapter, in the 15th verse. It's a little unfair. Y'all see it quicker than I do. Paul asked the question in the 15th verse. Shall, what, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Here's, here's the statement that I want you to receive. <laughs> Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. It's a choice. A choice with an either-or outcome. Thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of teaching to which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Isn't that great? What an awesome, awesome passage there. Look what happens when we change our allegiance. And we quit following Satan. We, we quit giving allegiance to Satan. We respect the authority of God's word, the authority of God on his throne. We don't usurp that authority. Look what happens in the 19th verse. I put this in human terms because you are weak in your natural selves just as you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now you offer them as in slavery to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sins, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things resulted in death or, or resulted in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, there's our allegiance. The benefit you reap leads to holiness. We can all get better. What, what is Christ-likeness but holiness? And if we really want to become holy people, we're going to have to take this attitude towards sin. He goes on to say, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Look what happens when we change our allegiance and respect the authority of God's word. 
past your sins. We had an opportunity around the Lord's table to examine ourselves. Should not, should not that be one of the things that we do when we take communion? Search for those sins that hindered us from showing appreciation for Christ on the cross? Shouldn't we be asking the Lord help us to become more like the one who gave his all for us? It's no wonder, as I read the New Testament scriptures, I just say it's no wonder that the church of that time was so dynamic. <coughs> there was such high expectation. The apostles just refused to let these people condition themselves and live to the standards of everyday life. Maybe being just a little bit better than most, but just about as bad as some. Paul constantly, Peter constantly, James constantly, they all tried to get the people to stay focused on the standard. And the standard was not what other people were doing around them. The standard was what God has said was right and wrong. Who has your allegiance this morning? Really, be totally honest for a moment. I mean, I'm not asking you to confess before everybody here. I, I'm not asking you to stand up and acknowledge it. I'm just asking you in your heart of be honest. Who really has your allegiance? I mean, there's the throne. There's the standard. God is giving us his word to live by. And we're saying, I receive it, Lord. I don't know if I want to go there or not, Lord. That's a little heavy. That's a less. That's a little more than I can handle right now. You've got to give me some time. How are we responding? That's, that's the question that we need to deal with. How are we responding to the authority that comes from the throne of God? Paul says we are servants or slaves to whomever we obey. We're Satan's servants or we're the Lord's servants. Now we don't have any question in our heart of hearts about who Paul was obeying. And Paul could say, I know in whom I believe. I am persuaded, totally convinced. He just didn't sweat anything that Satan would throw at him or try to use to drag him away because he knew that he was secure in his relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How can we know what is right and wrong and how can we make the right choices? The Bible is God's standard measurement for right and wrong. Like it or not, it's God's standard and we've got to hang with it. Now we're living in a society today that sets their own standards. They make their own choices. They justify their own behaviors. <coughs> I, I don't have time.
time to tell you the story that I would like to use for illustration here. Yes, this is just this past week. I watched a television program just yesterday about adoption. Some of you may have seen it. And I thought of the heartache, I thought of the terrible things, consequences of, of children's lives because of the hard-heartedness of adults who did it their way. Friends, there's so many people that get hurt because of our sin. It's not just you. Your sinfulness spills over into the lives of other people. And that's the reason God takes such a serious attitude when it comes to punishment, discipline, or sinning. He wants it to stop. He doesn't want you to hurt people. He wants you to bless people. You know, a lot of times we hurt people unintentionally. I think the truth is we've hurt enough people unintentionally. We sure don't need to take an indifferent attitude about hurting people, do we? We'd be going around saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, all the time. The beautiful thing is when we've got God on our side and we're on his side and we make those blunders, God is able to fix it with our repentance and with our good intentions, our efforts to reconstruct, God works and makes better what was messed up. See, sin just is not going to have the victory for those who acknowledge it as sin and call upon the Lord and upon the Lord's people. And when we all work together, sin will never be the cancer that is terminal. It'll never be the cancer that's incurable. It'll always be fixable because God is in control of the lives of those who love him and honor him and respect him. I want to read three scriptures for you. Revelation, the 21st chapter, the 8th verse. Put it up here so everybody can see it. The cowardly and the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, their place will be in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We're going to live in this life. And we're going to have all kinds of temptations. And we're going to make all kinds of choices. And we're going to live all kinds of lifestyles. But one day, brethren, the first death is going to get you. And we're going to all wish that we could have done better. Even if you're a fine Christian, when you come to the end of life, you're going to be wishing that I could have done more for the kingdom, more for the king. You're not going to regret what you've done for Jesus. But I promise you one thing. If you haven't cared, you're going to regret that. And you're going to wish you could change some things because there's a second death. And all liars 
there. I know people really tell a lot, comma tree and tell a lie and stay on the ground and tell the truth. You ever met anybody like that? I mean, I tell you, they'll lie to you and look you straight in the eye. It's almost like they get some kind of pleasure out of lying. God help them. Revelation 3rd chapter 16 verse talking about a church. Because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. I chose that just to give you a simple scripture that ought to say, hey, God, first serious about this. Pretty graphic there, isn't it? Ah, I want him to think of George and lick his lips and say, how do I go, God? Boy, he made some big changes. What do you want God to think about you? How do you want God to feel about you? Wouldn't you like for Jesus to say, you know, it was worth it for just the changes I've seen in George's life? Put yourself there. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians, and he said in the 6th chapter of the ninth verse following, do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? And folks, listen, this is not George Peter telling you this. This is not the first Christian church. This, this is God. <coughs> you know, a lot of people argue with you, get mad with you. They say, are oh, you being judgmental? Who are you to judge? Well, do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers, will inherit the kingdom of God. This just comes up. Cut your rock. Now let me hasten to say, I think a person that Jesus loved dearly, <clears throat> a person that Jesus had great admiration for, was a woman who had been a prostitute. A woman that anointed his body for burial as she knelt at his feet, cried, wept, dried his feet with her hair. This is not God hating the sinner. This is God hating what takes his creation and distorts it and makes it into something that's less than God ever intended for it to be. God created all of us to be something beautiful, something meaningful, something that would make a difference for good in the lives of other people. And sin comes in and just tears up everything God wants to happen good in our life. And because of what sin does, God hates sin. 
condition that was listed up there that God hated the person and that it wasn't possible for the person to become what God created them to be his child living to give glory to their heavenly father I hope this church never becomes so hypocritical that the vilest of sinners are not welcome to walk through that door and sit on these pews right beside us. I hope we never get to the place where we don't believe the power of God is there to change the worst of the worst. It happens. But they have to be given a chance. And they have to be given the word to convict them. And sometimes when we give them the word, We've alienated them to the point that they don't want to hear about the mercy of God because they feel we've been so harsh in our judgmental attitude. What should be our response to these scriptures? Verse 12 says, everything is permissible for me. That's the Apostle Paul. We all have choices. We all have the right to choose and to do whatever we want to. He says, everything's permissible for me. But not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Why? Because Jesus was Paul's only master. Are you listening to the Lord? Remember we sang that song, Sweetly Lord, have we heard you calling? Come, follow me. Are we listening to the Lord? Things are going to happen in your life, possibly today, most certainly tomorrow, because you're going to be out there in the world with the worldly conditions all around. Some things are going to happen, it's going to upset you, or are you going to be listening to the Lord? Because he's going to guide you. He's going to make, you make the right choice. Or at least give you the opportunity to make the right choice. But you've got to be listening. And when you make the right choice, you've proven who your master is. You've proven where your allegiance is. On the slopes of Long's Peak in Colorado, there lies the ruins of an old giant forest tree. They say the tree's over 400 years old. They can tell by the marks on it that it has been hit over 14 times by lightning strikes. For 400 years it has stood avalanches, storms, wind, rain. Today it's not standing. It fell to a little insect that you and I could take between our fingers and extinguish it. Beetles. The beetles came <coughs> and killed it. How many good, well-meaning men and women, boys and girls, have been brought down because of the little sins 
Oh, you're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to be a drunkard. You're not going to be an idolater. But what about the little sins that we're not paying any attention to? Envy, deceit, gossip, boastfulness, pride, maliciousness, unmercifulness, being fearful, lacking faith, unbelieving. The little white lies that we might tell. You know, we either believe them or we tell them, and we try to justify them. Those who trade the knowledge of God for a lie are going to be like that tree. Eventually, you're going to be overcome by the one that's trying to drag you away. No, but you rationalize. You rationalize away the truth of God. From a lie. From the father of all liars. <coughs> Two questions and we close. Can you understand a little better why God is so hard on liars? And can you understand a little better why God hates sin? You are special. You are a prize. You're precious in the sight of God. He knows you by name. He knows how many hairs you have in your head. How many balls does that? Isn't that wonderful to think about God knowing us like that? God knows us. And he, he, He's got something special in mind for you. But it won't ever happen unless we listen to Him. And we draw near to Him. Resist the devil, and what happens? He'll flee from you. That's what it says. But we don't resist him like we ought to, do we? My challenge to you today is to resist Satan. <clears throat> Give the devil his dues. See sin for what it really is. And honor God for who he really is. He's just waiting to bless you and to use you. Stand with me, let's stand.